Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All right, two words for you today, power and influence. Those two words are critical in a world that is vastly different from a decade ago. Now, don't get me wrong, they were critical a decade or two ago, but they're even more important today. Now, when we think about power, we often think about hierarchical power. And I'm going to say that's important. Of course it is. You can't ignore it. But that can't be the only power you're thinking about. So for today, we're going to focus on how do you have influence in the decision-making processes that are happening in your company and around you. So my guest is Robert Dylan Schneider. He formed the Dylan Schneider Group in 1991, headquartered in New York and Chicago. They provide strategic advice and counsel to Fortune 500 companies, leading families, individuals around the world. And they've got experience in fields from mergers and acquisition to crisis communication, marketing, government affairs, internal media. Now, prior to this, Robert was a president and chief executive of Hill and Knowlton Inc. from 1986 to 1991, tripling the firm's revenues from 200 million and delivering more than 30 million, 200 million delivering more than 30 million in profit. And it's an organization that, you know, was he was there for nearly 25 years. So, and then he started in public relations in 1967. And Robert, welcome to the show today. I think you've got an awful lot of track record in history that's going to be insightful. That's great to be on the show. This is a well-known show and you're a well-known host. So it's really special. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. I have to ask you, like I always do with people, why did you write the book? What problem were you seeing that you wanted to address? I wrote the book because there are an awful lot of people trying to get ahead and they don't know what to do and they make mistakes. And once you've made the fatal mistake, you're not going to get ahead at all. So the objective of the book is to try people, to give people the incentive of how to have power, power, how to have influence. That's the goal of the book. And um, so far, it's been pretty well accepted. Yeah, it's been around for a really long time. I know you wrote one years ago and then you've just reissued um, correct? Yes. About 40 years ago, I wrote a book called Power and Influence. It became a bestseller. It was extremely interesting and very important. And a lot of people bought it in this country and overseas. I didn't do anything for 40 years. I published other, other books, but not, a, not an update of that. So a publisher came to me and said, why don't you update this book? I said, okay. They said, let's call it the ultimate guide to power and influence. So that's what we've done. Perfect. All right. Now, you say um, that the world has changed and that in many different ways. And in, what do you mean by that? What, what are you seeing in the last 40 years that's dramatically different? You can communicate with anybody, any place in the world instantly. That's one. Number two is now different people in different parts of the world have different points of view. And they don't necessarily are going to take your point of view. That's two. Number three, the ways of communicating are very different than what they used to be. That's three. So 
it, I could go on and on, but the environment uh, for people today to communicate is very different. And uh, uh, people who master it uh, have a great shot at the future. People who ignore it uh, are doomed, I'm, I'm afraid, to, uh, to failure. So you're in the school that if we understand how to communicate effectively, we're going to have really great success in our career. Yeah? Uh, yes. But be able to sell your idea. Be able to convince people that your idea makes a lot of sense and that it should be adopted by, uh, by others. That's the key. I agree with that. And, I, you know, I know a lot of people have a reaction to the word sell. I, at least as I talk to them, they don't necessarily love this word sell. I think the essence is you're selling yourself, you're selling your idea, you're selling your team's work every day, every minute. People are selling all the time. I mean, literally, when a young man asks a young girl for a date, he's selling that girl. Uh, his ability, his bona fides and more. As you've been in the business, you're selling your boss constantly. Your boss is constantly selling his boss. And by the way, he's selling you because he wants to get more out of your performance. So selling is going on at all places all the time. If you go to church on Sunday, the pastor is selling. If you uh, are one of the people that picks up money from the pews, uh, they're selling. Everybody is selling all the time. I remember a number of years ago, a fellow in a church was picking up the money and he was going down the row and he put his uh, little patent in front of me asking me to give money. Didn't say anything. I gave nothing. He shook shook the patent in front of me. I said, I looked at him, I said, no, no, no way. Not for me. He then leaned over, put his head on my shoulder and said, Get, go with God. Give, uh, give some money. So I finally gave him a little bit of money, but his determination his way of getting it was very, very unique. Okay. All right. When we think of selling, though, we think of persistently pushing, not unlike your story there, like push, 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 reminder, persistence. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't work. What's your point of view about that pushing? Is it good, but not so good? You have to know when to stop. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, it's an art, really. You, start, you ought to be able to gauge your audience and determine if they're with you, if they're just neutral, waiting to hear something, or if they're against you. If they're against you, consider what you're doing. <laughs> if they're with you, uh, lay it on. Okay. If they have to be convinced, that's the real challenge. Most people have to be convinced of a point of view. Right. All right. So how do you help people understand how, how do you know that your audience is with you or not with you? Well, you can understand in many ways. Body language is one, obviously. Okay. You can look to see if they are eager to embrace you. But a second is the arguments. It depends how they relate to your arguments, how they characterize their arguments. That's the quickest way to do it. And obviously, the not another way to do it is if they seize on the points you're trying to make and... Uh, one way or the other, they will seize either negatively or positively. You'll know pretty quickly. All right. Do you have particular tricks or particular things in the body language that you look for that tells you whether the audience is with you or not? Uh, the answer to that is absolutely. Uh, if people withdraw, sit back, 
they're generally not with you. If they lean forward into the screen, into such a such situation, they're with you. People that ask the right questions uh, can be powerful and with you. People that don't ask any questions are generally not with you. You've gone over their heads. They start okay. to glaze over. You don't want to have that as a problem. Yeah, I find you can see it. You can almost feel it with an audience that is hanging on every word. They're, they, you're right. They are leaning forward. There's eye contact. There's head nodding. There's a lot of stuff happening. You just can feel it. It's the ambivalence, the passiveness, the waiting that is the hardest of all to read. You just never know what that means. At least that's my experience with it as well. Okay. I, I think it's very difficult. I agree. All right. So as you think about all the changes that have happened, the changes in the ways in which who we communicate with, where we communicate with them, how fast we communicate with them, the various different points of view that have to be accounted for, the methodologies that we have to account for, what is it that you think people need to do differently today that they might not have done 20 years ago? Uh, Many, many things. Uh, One is they have to look at their appearance as it relates to the appearance of the people they're talking to. If they're wearing a three, three-piece three suit and they're talking to people in jeans and dungarees, they're going to have a hard time getting through. Yeah. So the appearance is one. Number two, look at the language you're using. Are you using words that uh, they just don't understand or it takes a while for them to get it? Uh, that's number two. You've got to communicate in pure and simple ways. Number three, you've got to draw the audience in somehow. Uh, by asking them a question and asking them to answer it, by asking their opinion and for them to stand up. You've got to draw the audience in. Those are some of the simple ways of doing this. Okay. All right. Um, so I get, I'm get. i with you that the appearance that you want to be matched to the audience that you're trying to reach because that then they see you as sort of one of them, whatever that looks like. And that can be many different things today. I think that's what's so complicated. A language that addresses people, that reaches people. Totally agree with that one. Sometimes I think you have to use language that they find motivating, not just the, langu- the simple language. Um, a little more complicated than that. And then asking a question, inviting people to think in, I think with you, to go with you. I remember uh, a man named Lou Gerstner. Yeah. Who used to run RJR Nabisco and later IBM. And he would engage people in a small group or a larger group. And he would ask a question, how are we going to solve this? And he would try to elicit from those people solutions. And when he heard the solution he knew was going to work, he'd say, that's it, George. That's it, Sally. Let's take that to the next step. He's very good at that. Very good. So the question is, even if you have the answer, ask the question and wait for somebody in the audience to come through with it as a way of pulling people in and calling right. them out and acknowledging it also understand. That's exactly right. All right. I want to shift gears for a minute. I want to talk about this concept of power. All right. Yes, there's hierarchical power. There are people, you know, at the C-suite level who have the ability to put budget and personnel and emphasis or take it away. But apart from hierarchical power, how do you help people understand the power they have? Everybody has power, first of all. And the trick is to understand exactly what you, you have. If you have information, you can put in the hands of somebody else 
in whole or in part, you've got power over that person. You have it. Number two is if you are in a position where you can stand next to the person, put your arm around them, you've got power. Very famous, Jackie Robinson, the first black player in the major leagues, was standing on the third base, third base line receiving booze. Pee Wee Reese, the shortstop, a white man, walked over to Robinson and put his arm around him. And he said, we're here together to play this game. Really powerful to the stands. It turned the entire stands, 30,000, 40,000 people around because of what he did. A lot of examples like that. When I was in college, I went to the University of Notre Dame. Uh, the head of the university was a man named Father Hesper. The Vietnam War was underway. Hesper got us all assembled on the quadrangle, all 3,000 of us. And he said, I know a lot of you don't like the war. I know a lot of you are talking about the war. He said, anybody who talks about the war in a negative way has 30 seconds to do it. At that point, if you talk more, you're off the campus and out of the school. That was power. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm going to hear you, but I'm not going to hear you very much. That's an interesting angle. It is power. You're right about that one. Um, and the power of his authority to do something with that as well. How about somebody who's lower in the organization? Um, maybe they have a small team. They've got power in terms of the information they have and their ability to put it in somebody else's hands. Uh, what other forms of power did they have? That's the biggest one. Of course, they've got the power of presence. They can walk in or out of the room if they want to. That's very powerful. If you walk into the room, uh, you're with them. If you walk out of the room, just pick up your papers and walk out of the room and don't come back. That's pretty powerful right there. I think the ability to call in other people uh, who might be helpful to the matter you're discussing is powerful. If you know those people, can use their names, can get them on the phone, can bring them into the room, that's power. I think the language you use is powerful. If you come up with 16-letter uh, words that people don't understand, uh, that is not powerful. You've got to communicate in short, precise, terse ways. That will get things across. That is powerful. Okay. All right. So we're down to the information I have, my ability to get it in people's hands, my ability to reach out and join arms literally with other right. people and show unity, my presence being available or not available, listening or not listening, the ability to tap other people in a network, get them involved, get them to speak up, get them to come and attend, and the language that I use. Okay? A lot that's under my control, and it's much more of what I have, and then it's a question of how I use it. So let's talk about influence then specifically. That's all absolutely correct. A lot of things is, is things are under your control. And it's important to understand what those things are and to understand if you articulate or use those things, how it's going to impact the audience. If it impacts the audience positively, great stuff. Keep going for it. If it's neutral, think of another solution. If it's negative, stop. Don't do it. So... The language you use is very, very important. Uh, what you wear into a meeting is important. If you walk into a meeting and everybody is sitting there in a three-piece suit, 
and you're walking in the jeans and a uh, shirt hanging out, it's you've got to really work hard to overcome that. On the other side, if you're into a meeting with everybody's with jeans and uh, no three-piece suits, but you happen to have one, you made a major statement to those people. I will never forget my own case. I one time had to make a space speech in Hawaii. Uh, I went to the speech with a dark blue suit on. What a mistake. Uh, everybody in Hawaii listening to the speech was dressed as a Hawaiian. And so what happened was a minute or two into the speech, uh, I took my coat off and threw it on the stage. And fortunately, at that guy, uh, at that moment, a guy came off stage with a Hawaiian shirt, which I put on. I was then part of the crowd. Very important. <laughs> Very important. Very important. And especially today when what you wear in a meeting is so ambiguous because the dress code has changed so dramatically in the last years. All right, let's shift gears to talk about influence specifically. So I want to start with a question I get asked all the time, which is how am I supposed to influence senior leaders in the organization, senior stakeholders? What's your advice on that one? Find out what's important to them and then communicate what you have to say in a way that and somehow gets at what's important to them. They will then relate to it. If you just go in without doing any work in advance and make your case as powerful as it might be, as great as it might be, if it's not really uh, supported by people who would support you, it's going to be a problem. So you've got to figure out how to do that. How do you know what's important to a senior stakeholder? You look, first of all, you do some research in advance so you're not walking into the meeting cold. Number two, when you walk into the meeting, uh, let's say you're meeting with 40 people. Uh, pick one in the middle and one at the back and ask them a question and help them with the answer. By, the, by doing so, you'll put everybody on the alert. They're all going to wonder if they're going to be the third person to communicate with. Uh, and of course, uh, you wouldn't communicate at that point. You'd stop, you'd stop communicating. But there are a lot of ways to do that. Okay. One of the things that I often say to people, I'd love to hear your advice on this one, is that often a chief of staff or a senior executive assistant can help you understand what the driving agenda is. And sometimes a head of communications knows well what a senior leader is really pushing towards, and you can figure out how to talk accordingly. Um, that is true. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> virtually everybody at the top has somebody that they listen to. I remember Jack Welsh, who used to run General Electric before he passed away. Jack had all kinds of executives all kinds of advice, but he really listened only to one or two people. And those people made a huge difference in the company. That's the reason he bought NBC. Mm -hmm. That's the reason he uh, uh, was thinking about buying and didn't do it, the New York Yankees. So Jack Welsh had advisors that talked that he trusted, that talked with him about what to do. Most people uh, have others out there who are keen to tell you what to do. But at the same time, uh, you need to check their bona fides to see if they really have something that makes sense. If, if they do, great. If they don't, don't communicate. Okay. 
So is your advice to try to reach those one or two people that you know a senior stakeholder is really going to listen to? Do I try to bring them in at first or do I just stay aware of who's going to influence them? I think you should bring in every every asset you possibly can if you're trying to communicate with somebody. Use every example you possibly can and drive it home uh, and drive it home quickly and drive it home with provocative language that gets people to remember it. So think about a word that starts off your argument and think about how you're going to emphasize that word in a way that reaches out to your audience and gets them to listen. Uh, don't just start in and talk. Think about a powerful word. Make the statement. Put the word out. One word. Pause for a second or two. And then go into your argument. Okay. You'll generally probably you'll get a good group. Do you have a good example? I'd love to hear how you've thought, how you've seen that work. Well, um, one is a, 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 a religious example. Uh, a priest once started by saying Christianity. And he stopped. Everybody in the room leaned forward to understand what he was trying to say. And then he said he drew people in. Talking about Christianity worked very, very effectively. In, you, in your lives and the lives of those who listen to you, um, that's a great example. Just think about something that is in your space that relates to other people and use that as a word or two to start off. Very important to do. Okay. Okay. All right. I like that idea. Hadn't thought about that one. All right. I'm going to shift. We were talking about senior stakeholders and your advice is I have to understand what is important to that stakeholder. I need to do my research. I need to ask people. I need to know who influences them. And I want to put whatever my idea is in language that's consistent with their story, with their concerns, their issues, their worries. All right. I want to shift to one of the influence strategies that I think is most overlooked. And that's the notion of needing to influence peers. Because frequently peers are ones that are going to help you reach that senior stakeholder. And more importantly, if your peers aren't willing to go along with you, then you're not going to get an awful lot accomplished. So what's your advice for how to influence peers? I think that um, the most important thing in influencing peers is to understand what's important to them. And if you can find a way to talk about what's important to them, uh, you'll get them on board. Uh, example, if you're talking, let's use the example of religion again. If you're talking to a bunch of people that happen to be uh, Catholics, talk about Catholicism and what it means. If you're talking to a bunch of people who uh, are interested in physics, talk about great physics people and what they've done, and how these people can pay attention to that. Every communication should relate to the wants and needs and interests of the audience. All right. In an organization, frequently, I'm in competition with my peers, if I'm really honest. You know, one of us is going to get the next level job. Not all of us are. So there are competing interests. What's your advice on how to handle that one? Uh, be as gracious as you can. And if you win, be doubly gracious. Uh, and if you uh, win and you're looking at people who have lost, uh, reach out to them. Say, 
you played a great game, George or Sally. Uh, let's figure out how the points you make can work for the organization going forward. I think involving them in the process is very, very important. If you're a loser and you lose, and we all lose from time to time, I think you say to the person who won, congratulations, you did a great job. I can add to what you're trying to do and very much want to have a communication with you where I add to that. So you say, in effect, I'm on board. I'm helping you. I'm there with you. Exactly. And uh, uh, make sure that you and whoever you're communicating with are really on the same page, whether it's a negative page or a positive page. Just make sure you're together. Don't introduce something totally new, totally brand new, because you're asking them to make an emotional and intellectual jump. That's very hard to do. Okay. All right. So you said with peers, understand what's important to them. Be as gracious as you can be. Any other advice for getting peers on your side? Uh, yes. I give them numbers. Uh, talk about uh, how many people supporting your point of view or how many people were supporting their point of view. Look at the end game. What's going to come out at the end of this thing? And will they be part of it? And how can you meet, how can you help them to be part of it? Make the losers winners. That's really what I'm trying to say. Trying to say, that makes a big difference. Yeah, everybody wants to feel like they are winning in some way. They want to feel like their opinion matters. They want to feel like they were heard. And I swear, if you get those three things right, an awful lot else will call will fall on the plate as well. Absolutely. Okay. Any other piece of advice for peers for getting them on your side? I think the biggest thing to get a peer on your side is to reach out to them and tell them you understand their arguments. Now, their arguments might, might not be very good, which is possible. But if you say you understand their arguments, they'll feel good about that, guaranteed. Okay. All right. That's, that's perfect. All right, Robert, this is a perfect place to take a break. So my guest today is Robert Dylan Schneider. He formed the Dylan Schneider Group back in October of 1991 and grew that firm's revenues quite dramatically and has the author of a number of books. Um, the Ultimate Guide to Power and Influence is the one that we've been talking about today. When we come back, I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of other pieces of advice that are in this Ultimate Guide, like networking and dealing with mistakes and pivoting in your career, and generally just tap Robert's brain about advice he has for all of us in managing our careers. We'll be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? 
For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Robert Dylan Schneider, and we have been talking about Robert's wisdom and experience, particularly around communication and the fact that how you would have power and influence has changed so dramatically in the last 20, 30, 40 years, mostly because the ways of communication have changed, because the ability for anybody to reach anybody anywhere in the world rather instantaneously is dramatically different than where we were 10, 15 years ago. And with that, we have an increasing divergence of points of view and a lot of struggle with how to handle all those points of view. So we've talked about power, how you have power, how you recognize the power that you have. And we've got a lovely list here. I'm just going to highlight these again because I think it's so important. Information is power if you can put it in the hands of somebody can use it. Being able to physically reach out to somebody to support them, to show your enthusiasm, your allyship with them is a form of power. Your presence is a form of power. Being able to get other people in with you is a form of power. And the language you use is a form of power. We all have more power than we recognize, and we can use more of it if we think about it consistently and systematically. All right, so we've been talking about influence and about how to have influence with stakeholders and with peers. And I think it starts always, always, always listening to Robert. I happen to agree with understanding what's the key agenda for the person you're trying to influence. What do they care about? And how does what I'm offering, trying to sell, suggesting, impact positively their ability to achieve what they're looking to achieve? And in that, language matters and everything else that makes me relatable matter. All right. So, Robert, I'm going to shift the tables now from talking about power and influence to talking about some subsets, because these are pieces that are important parts of understanding how to, I don't want to say play the game, manage your career is maybe a better um, tactic. And one of them becomes apparent when you think about power and influence is the stronger your network, the more people I have to reach out that'll give me information, that'll show me how to access a senior stakeholder that might join me in a cause so on. So I had to ask all the time how to network, particularly for somebody who isn't very comfortable with this process. So what's your advice on networking? Well, we all have net- networks, first off. It's recognize that you've got it. And think about all the people that you've worked with over the years, both professionally and personally, and say to yourself, well, they're part of my network. What can they do or how can I work with them to go forward? Everybody has a network, no question about it. So if you've got a network with journalists, if you've got a network with people in the financial community, if you've got a network in your church, if you've got a network with 
just your friends and people in the area, understand what is important to them. Uh, a very important thing to do in developing the network is identify individual people that you want to network with. And now take advantage of Google and Google that person up. Almost everybody and their profile is on Google these days. So find out where they went to school, uh, what their inclination is, how they're operating. And then when you're talking to them, use examples that they will relate to. Uh, a warm example of where they went to school, a warm example of somebody they've worked with and have tried to influence, a warm example of the audience they're trying to get to. Those are all very important. And if you're smart and everybody who's listening to this program is, uh, just Google, use Google and figure this out. You'll get all kinds of information that you can use. Okay. All right, Robert, I'm going to, I agree with you, but I'm going to take a contrary point of view for a moment because I can imagine people are saying, but it's the logic of my idea that really matters, not how warm people feel to me. So what's your response to that? I would say that uh, uh, if your idea is good and people can relate to it, great. If your idea is good and nobody relates to it, not so good. And I think if you're in a position where you advance an idea and you look at the audience and all you get are blank stares, people scratching their head, people wanting to go to the next session, that's not a positive thing. Right. Uh, figure out how to involve them. Uh, get them to enjoy the process that you created for them. Uh, talk to them about their wants and needs. If you're dealing with an audience, uh, don't hesitate to reach into the audience if you know somebody and say, how about you, gentlemen? Uh, what about what are your interests? How do they relate to what we're talking about? And get that person then to indicate to the audience, to the to larger audience, how they feel about things. So by doing that, you'll get uh, a lot of people supporting you and supporting you in a positive way. I remember saying to one of my clients who was going for a big CEO job, and I said, technically, you are strong enough to do the job. They wouldn't be talking to you if they didn't think technically you could do the job. And I can also verify knowing this person for ages that technically they could do the job. I said, but your challenge now is for them to feel comfortable with you. So you're saying the same thing, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you might have the smartest person in the world who has the greatest idea in the world that will relate to your company, your organization. But if you can't draw other people in, uh, you're not going to make it to first base. So it's really important to think about both elements. What is your idea? What is your suggestion? How does it relate to the end game? And how does it relate to other people you're trying to draw in. If it doesn't relate to anybody else, you're going to be standing there at the top of the hill yeah. alone. Uh, that's okay. not a good position. It's not a good at. place. Yeah, not a good place to be. All right. So we've gotten off track again. I want to come back because I think this whole notion of the relationships that people have, the strength of those relationships determines how much people trust. And I think it also determines the corporate politics. Um, you know, because it's easy to influence somebody that I know and like and trust. And that's sort of what you're saying here. But let's go back to this notion of networking. 
So I reach in, I do some homework. I find somebody that I worked with years ago. I haven't been in touch with them for 10 years, five years. Is it too late? It's never too late. Uh, and just recall the wonderful things that happened in your last relationship and call them up to mind and say, Sally, we did this 10 years ago. You remember this? Sally will generally probably say yes. And if she does say, wasn't the result fantastic? We can now do that together on this new program. So that's one way to draw people in. Another way to draw people in is to look at where something very simple. Where did they go to school? I talked to a man yesterday who went to Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It doesn't leap off the lips of people at Moravian College, but I knew it. I know somebody else who went to Moravian, and we talked about it. And all of a sudden, we were two people going down the road talking about a topic that we both had a relation to. That drew him into the longer conversation I wanted to have about an idea that would be sold to his boss. Okay. I meet people who are brilliant salespeople, and I watch them talk to anybody in a room anywhere, and they will find something in common with that person to talk about the common ground one way or another, they will quickly find that common ground. And that's what you're saying. When I find common ground, I become more interested in talking to you. It's not just a networking event. You become more interested in talking to me. You want to remember me. And then I've got a greater chance of actually doing something productive with you. Okay, cool. Perfect. So that's perfect. That's exactly right. Cool. All right, let's go to the next topic, mistakes. All right. I've never talked to a senior executive that didn't have some mistakes, some of them pretty dramatically in their career. What's your advice and experience about handling mistakes? First of all, be elegant enough to admit you've made a mistake and uh, say to people, I've made a mistake. Here's the way out of it. Very important. I think if you're honest with people, they'll respect that. If you try to cover up a mistake, that's not good because they will now know you made a mistake and really don't want to own up to it. So if you've made a mistake, say to people, I made a mistake. How are we going to get through this? How can you and I work together to overcome this? Uh, give them the opportunity to help you and them uh, come together and resolve a mistake. Very useful thing to do. But mistakes happen every day to everybody in every walk of life. And that's just the way it is. So make sure that you're uh, uh, in a position where, hold on a second, where um, you can uh, deal with mistakes in a positive and constructive way. It happens to everybody. All right. What if there's a mistake, you apologize, and the other person is not le ever letting it go? Right. And if that happens, that does happen a lot. Uh, you say to that person, you know, you've got it right, George. You've got it right, Cindy. Uh, that was an error. I'm glad that you're pointing it out. What do you think we should do? Ask what their suggestion is for how to overcome the mistake that they made, but, or you made. But remind them that, in a nice way, that they better get off hammering on this mistake because nobody wins. How do we turn it to a positive, and how can they help do it? I uh, have a counter occasionally, <laughs> one or two people 
who um, I'm going to say hold a grudge. There are many people that hold grudges. I think the best way to deal with that is to sit down and say, look, John, look, uh, Karen, uh, I know you don't feel good about this. I would like to know why and what we can do about it. Uh, I don't want you to feel that you can hold a grudge and it'll last. It's a very bad, bad thing. I want you to embrace a way to go forward so we can do it together. But uh, if you hold a grudge, it's going to be with you and with me for the rest of our lives. That's not going to be good. Nobody benefits from that. How do we help you overcome that? What can I do to help you overcome that? If I've got to admit I was wrong or I made a mistake, hey, I'm going to stand up and do just that. So you'll be able to overcome this grudge. But uh, people do hold grudges. There are a lot of people out there. Yeah, I seem to be surrounded by two or three at the moment that are bugging me. So I'm asking for a personal reason, and I'm going to follow that advice. All right, let's talk about a crisis. So a mistake is one thing. A crisis may be a mistake, just may be a disaster that happens. It may be any number of things. What's what's your experience about what need what you need to think about in the midst of a crisis? First of all, you need to understand what the crisis is. You need to understand who the crisis affects. And then you've got to do something very simple. I learned this many, many years ago. Tell it all, in other words, the crisis, and tell it fast. Uh, Get it all on the table. Don't let it dribble out over time. Make sure that uh, people understand it. You touch on every single element of it and uh, put it out there in a way that people can say, George understands this. Let's deal with it. I can I can help him. I can do it with him. And so invite people to come in on a crisis and help solve the problem. I remember years ago, the Skywalks fell at the Kansas City Hyatt. I'll never forget this. A lot of people were hurt. Uh, what we did was we called in everybody from the Red Cross to the people who were going to get jobs uh, for those who uh, were disenfranchised and find a way to get them all to work together. Uh, so they solved the problem. Uh, it was a big uh, undertaking, but it was really worth it. I remember being in North Troy, Vermont one time, never forget this, and uh, the big the company up there, the biggest employer, was getting ready to fire a lot of people. Well, I said to the guy, don't do it, not this way. He said, we're going to do it. Uh, and he was in a three-piece suit, and he walked to the front of the area where he was going to speak and the people in the audience were people in the body shirts mother was tattooed on their arm it didn't work with the three-piece suit and i had told the guy to get rid of the three-piece suit take your tie off roll your sleeves up be like them he didn't do it didn't get very far (laughs) i got that so why do you think people in the middle of a crisis are afraid to tell it all? I, Because I see this all the time. They, they say a little bit. They don't really say everything. Why do you think they're afraid? Uh, big question. They, they, they worry. Uh, what you should do is figure out how you can get beyond the problem. A lot of people don't think about that. A lot of people don't think about the solution. They think about the impact to themselves. And so you need to say to people, look, let's figure a way that we can work together to get a result here. That's going to be the real payoff. And that 
one generally works. If you say uh, Jesus is a terrible problem, what are we going to do about it? Uh, that doesn't work. You've got to get people involved in coming up with a solution. You've got to get them to talk about the solution. Don't assume by coming up with your answer to a problem, it's going to be embraced by everybody. Ask yourself and ask them to articulate their points of view. They'll do it over time. And you know something? They might know something. They might have an idea that hasn't occurred to you. If right. so, take it, compliment them, and implement it. Okay. All right. Sometimes when you're trying, like you're, you're in the middle of a crisis and you've admitted that it's happening and people are angry, there's a lot of emotion coming. I think that scares people. How do you recommend they deal with all that emotion? Uh, that's really hard because in a crisis, uh, there's huge emotion for a whole bunch of reasons. People are concerned about the impact on their career, on their family, on their community. They're really concerned. So what you have to do is say to people, look, this is enormous implications. We have two things we can do. We can let it ride, in which case everybody's going to lose. Or we should figure out what we're going to do with all the different audiences that are important to you so that we all win. You might not win right, right away, but you'll win over time. If you don't do anything, you'll definitely lose. That's not a good thing. So you're advocating something very similar to what I hear from people who talk about resilience. Right. And that is that notion of, however it happened, this is not the time to look backwards and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. It's a time to look forward and say, how do we fix it? How do we resolve it? How do we find a better solution? How do we move to a better place? And really well get said. everybody involved exactly. in ideas. That's exactly right. Uh, if you look to the past, you get people to focus on the past, that's not good. Look to solutions in the future involving people in coming up with things they can do that'll make a difference to the outcome. Okay. All right. Shift gears again for you. I love that. If you look to the past, you're going to focus on the past, which is not where the answer is live. If you look to the future, then you're focused on the solutions or the next steps, at least along the way. All right. Changing careers, pivoting. It seems to be the, you know, like this phenomena that everybody is talking about at the moment. Um, to me, it feels like the same old story because every senior executive I've ever interviewed had a career that was anything other than a straight path. And I think that's how careers are made. They're much more zigzaggy and wobbly than anybody gives credit for. But I'm interested in your view on, is that what you see? Um, how do you recommend people pivot and when? When do you know it's time to pivot? A lot of people are out there living lives of quiet desperation. They don't do anything about their lives and careers. You should be thinking 24-7 about your life and career and how what you're doing can relate to a better you. You can. It's very important to think about that. So if you do, uh, you'll get there. If you don't, you'll be mired in what you are uh, with and about, and you won't get there, and you'll be very unhappy and probably do a bad job for those you're working with. So you've got to find a way to do that. Okay. All right. So when somebody thinks they need to, how do you know if it's time to pivot, to take a turn? Generally, you know that by going down the wrong path uh, and people telling you 
you're going down the wrong path. You're going down the wrong path. So you need to say to yourself, uh, I've got to now figure out a different path, a different way, and we're going to go that way. Uh, but if the Im impact of uh, people around you is negative, uh, change things. If the impact of the customers is negative, change things. If the impact from the press is negative, understand why it's negative and see if you can't begin to give the press some positives. But change is very important and it's got to be handled very directly, very adroitly, virtually every day. Okay. All right. It's an interesting thing. I know you said people live lives of quiet desperation and I see people all the time who are unhappy in a job that they're in. And it is an interesting question. Do you stick it out knowing that in six months, I'm likely to have a new manager, a different direction. My ideas will have more voice, more appeal. Or do I say, this is it. This is the time to cut my losses and leave. Any advice? I think you should say to yourself, uh, if I'm in a situation that's not good, uh, what can I do to make sure it's better? Uh, is this situation that's not good going to continue for a long time? And if that's the case, what can I do to get to a new a new model? Very important. If the situation is one where it's all clicking all the time, everybody's winning, look for the winners and find ways to bond with them, congratulate them, be part of their network or make them part of your network. But it's okay. very important to recognize the situation you're in. And knowing that, adjust. Don't just wait for it to happen. Okay. So you're, it's one a message of constant adjustment. All right. I'm going to shift again, predicting trends. I personally think that way too people, few people spend time thinking about the trends that are coming, understanding how the trends might be impacting them, just anticipating even. So what's your advice on how to stay up with trends? I think you need to constantly read. Uh, it's not a thing. It's not something people really enjoy doing. But read about your business. Read about the things affecting your business. Read about what other people are saying about your business and about you. And uh, you'll begin to understand the trends. Understand. Look at the most recent polls that have been taken. Whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, they're trying to figure out, as we were talking here today, what trend is out there that they can jump on top of and make something out of? Very important. So understand the situation around you. Take advantage of every bit and piece you can, you can and, that's, and figure out what trends are occurring. And by the way, are those trends occurring over time or are they occurring just instantly and they're going to go away? So if something's going to be with you for a long time, think about it. Very important to deal with it. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing to know in any career and any place. Is this a fad that's going to be here for six months and then gone? I don't want to tie my entire company or my career to that fad. Right. Or is this fad actually starts as a fad anyway? Is it going to stick around? Is it going to be a permanent sea tide change? It's so hard to know that. Which one, which way it's going? It is very hard to know it, but eventually... If you stick with it and keep your eye on the ball, you're going to find out if it takes. 
if the press begins to follow it, it may take. If the financial community begins to follow it, it may take. If people are on the sidelines saying, hey, that's great, it may take. If there's a dull thud when you look around at other people on the idea or the thing you're dealing with and they don't, there's no reaction, it's not good. You're going to then have to start from square one. And I'm not saying that you can't build something. You can. But it's much better if you can take advantage of a trend or a movement that's underway. Right. And better if you're on the front side of that curve, not Absolutely. on the back side of that curve. Absolutely. Of course, you don't want to be too early on the front side of the curve because it's too hard to sell the idea if That's the right. momentum hasn't been built. All right. Just a couple of minutes. I have to ask you one last question. You have a chapter title that's at the very end of the book called Share Your Power. Why and how? The reason to share your power is to build your network, to draw other people in to the solution that uh, you know is the right solution. That's the reason to share your power. How to share your power? Draw people in. Ask for their advice. When they give you their advice, tell them that they're smart, they're on target, and here's something else they could do that'll be part of the ultimate solution. Sharing your power is very, very important. If you try to be a powerful person and you don't share it, people will look at you and say, do I need to work with that person? Do I need to really take advice or follow that person? The answer inevitably is going to be no. So you need to find a way to uh, draw people in to get them to be part of the team. Okay. So ask, you said to ask for people's advice, even if you think you've got the full answer, you never know what they might have to say. That would be useful. Absolutely. You said give really positive reinforcement to that person. That was really smart. That's a really good idea. I like your thinking, you know, et cetera. And you said show people how they can be an additional part of the solution. Give them a, a thing to do, a way to belong, um, a way to continue. Exactly right. All of those, all of those points are exactly right on target. You need to do each one of those things. And you have to be alert to do them, by the way. Okay. You can't just kind of go through the motions. And because it's Thursday, you're going to do your job the way you've always done it. You've got to think about different ways to to come to a positive solution. Okay. I love it. All right, Robert. What a wonderful conversation, a broad-ranging conversation. But ultimately, I think you're right in the book that all of this adds up to how do you understand the power you have and how do you influence people to make a decision that goes in a direction you believe in. And ultimately, as we said at the very top of the hour, that is really about how you sell yourself, your idea, your company, your team. So, Robert, thanks for being a guest today. Thank you very much. This is a great show. Thank you. I appreciate that support. And to our listeners, if you like today's episode, please like us on your favorite podcast provider. Please send us note to also, we'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 